China, as you know, is going to save the world. They're going to save the world from a maybe nasty recession in 2023 by doing nothing more than removing their zero COVID pandemic policies. That was supposed to set Chinese, China's economy free to soar. And by soaring, that was going to produce a lot of additional buying, a lot of additional demand for the rest of the world, which would get us all onto the right track instead of heading toward the recession that many of us have been worried about for quite some time. But as we're starting to realize, or many in the public are starting to realize, we kind of expected this all along, China reopening didn't do much of anything. It's, it's, not, it's not just that it's not going well, it may be going in the other direction. In fact, it seems more and more as if China's in as much trouble as it is getting out of trouble. It wasn't just the reopening hasn't lived up to its billing, it's that China has much deeper problems than many had realized. It wasn't just about zero COVID last year. There are deeper fundamental structural problems with China's economy, starting with the rest of the world. China has a problem when the rest of the world isn't doing well. But most of all, what we're most focused on and most concerned about is the property sector. But don't worry about that anymore because China reopening has failed. And what that means, Mr. Stephen Van Meter, is that the Chinese are about to unleash a tidal wave of stimulus. So if reopening doesn't save us, the failure of reopening will, right? Yes, if, if not one, the other must work. And, and this comes back to a lot of people, Jeff, kind of pin the China reopening and it's kind of the same notion in the U.S. It was, okay, you know, U.S. consumers have some money. They have all this pent up demand for 10, from 10 years of non-consumption. For some reason, after 10 years, they're going to take all this money and they're going to go consume it. And they did. And, and it worked. But you know, we now look shift over to China. They have a completely different reopening because here in America, we were told policymakers and politicians and experts along, hey, we're going to boom, new bull market. This is a resurgence. There's going to be jobs for everybody, stuff for everybody, and more money than you can deal with. But in China, they got kind of a different picture because they were closed so effectively so long that the global economy kind of around them slowed down. So, the, you know, the whole, they, they did have money. I mean, there was, you know, t talk about, hey, Chinese consumers have some money to spend. But Jeff, it's different. You know, when, if I, you know, go out into the world and I have some money in my pocket and I see the economy booming, then I must naturally expect that somehow this is going to come back to me. But if I walk out in the world and I get a little bit of money in pocket and I see, wait, there's slowdowns, layoffs, uh, trouble, you know, in, in the economy, which is what Chinese consumers saw. You know, they, they open so late, the rest of the world slow down that they're kind of thinking, hey, maybe I should hold on to this some money. And this is backflowing into the property market. Not that there weren't already problems in their property market to begin with. But if you're not feeling optimistic about your job, then why would you go buy something? And it's, it's led to, as reopening has come up way short, look at the data from last month. Look at the data we just got this week, uh, China's NBS PMIs manufacturing contracting again, the non-manufacturing PMI fell by more than two points, new orders fell below 50, non-manufacturing, which suggests again, China reopening completely failed and it, the Chinese economy is at more risk of falling into the recession that we're already in. But but as we said, hope there, there's hope is on the way because Beijing is going to respond, at least according to mainstream conventional wisdom, which says they're going to bail out the property sector because they have to bail out the property sector. 
Here's Steve. Let me read you a quote from an article Bloomberg just today. And today is June 2nd. It's a Friday. Uh, Bloomberg says China is working on a new basket of measures to support the property market after existing policies failed to sustain a rebound in the ailing sector, according to people familiar with the matter. So this big news about China throwing more stimulus and bailing out the property sector is really them doing more of the same things they did last year that didn't work. And I'm, I mean, here, here's the rest. Of, let me let me read to you the, the rest of the quote here. The government may also refine and extend some policies laid out in the sweeping 16-point rescue package it rolled out last year. So let me get this straight. China is going to bail out the property sector as the property sector is worse this year than last year. And they're going to bail out the property sector using more of the same things that led the China property sector to get worse this year. I don't see any logic here. I think it's just about putting together headlines that scream we're bailing out the property sector when that could not be further from the truth. It seems like central banker logic to me, but it's not because it's coming from the Chinese government. But, you know, Jeff, what's kind of interesting is we know that the Chinese real estate market is effectively a Ponzi scheme because unlike here in the U.S., when you go buy a new home, uh, you put a deposit down, generally somewhere around, say, $10,000 and, you know, part of your upgrades or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, but really, think of, you think of it like an option contract because when the house is done, you can effectively walk away and say, yeah, you know what? Housing prices decline or I lost my job. I'm out my deposit. So what? The builder's holding the bag. Uh, and by the same token, if the price goes up a bunch, you could turn around and flip the house too and make, you know, make a profit, which people do. In China, it's a little bit different because you actually buy the property before it's done, which means you get your mortgage and you start making payments. The problem is the developers are always chasing money after one other deal. So they're always behind the curve. That's how we got into the first problem because, of course, the government extended all this credit and people bought and then their homes couldn't get done because developers ran out of money. So they came in and said, hey, we got a fix for this. We're going to force the developers to keep the money for your property in escrow and only the banks that can release it as proof of things being done, which seems completely logical, Jeff. I mean, that's exactly what you would want to do. The problem is the developers have no money. We're back to the same problem. Again, it doesn't make any sense what's going on here. I don't think it's going to work. I know you don't think so, but, you know, hey, you got to try. I think it's really big part, the structural problems here that go deeper than the property market. But starting with the property market is the Chinese realize that, as you just said, in many respects, it's a Ponzi scheme. Therefore, they're, especially under Xi Jinping thought that was instituted into the Chinese constitution back in 2017, part, a big part of that is common prosperity, the slogan they came up with over the last couple of years, which means we're not going to focus on property developers anymore. We want property developers to live up to their, to their uh, obligations, but we're not going to support them under all conditions because we're not just going to grow the economy through any means necessary. And what that has meant is Property owners and property developers, as you just said, Steve, a lot of times they're stuck on their own. They have to find financing that they used to get from their local municipal government. Now the municipal government says she said no. So it's really it's it's almost a rock and a hard place here where China's property sector and the government is continuing to say, you guys work it out because this is no longer our big focus. Our goal here is just to limit the downside so that the real estate and property sector doesn't just completely blow up. 
We'll accept more, more lower. We'll accept prices going lower. We'll accept more developers going bankrupt. We just don't want the thing to completely blow up. But that causes all sorts of, as you were saying, Steve, it causes all sorts of problems in the real economy, especially among consumers, because they're looking at the property sector and saying, it's getting worse, not better. I don't care what everybody says about the Chinese economy. Uh, what matters to me is this thing, and nobody's really doing anything about it. Bailing out the property sector, that's just, that's not happening. Right. And Jeff, in any good Ponzi scheme, you need effectively new money to be coming in all the time. And so you look at the manufacturing sector, at least we look at the PMIs, and what do we see? Continued slowdown, continued, you know, bit of contraction. So that obviously means you need less labor. And if demand in the, out of the U.S. is going down, which we can clearly very much see, well, if demand of the U.S. is going down and the rest of the world is going down, that means the world's largest exporter, they're going to see demand fall. That means Batteries slow down, less jobs. And if you're thinking about, hey, I want to go buy you know, a property, well, this is starts to be the economic climate where you say no at a time when, again, the, the Ponzi scheme needs more new money and it's not there. So uh, I, obviously, whatever they're going to do is not going to work. The only question, which is true with any sort of government intervention or central bank intervention is, and just like the banking crisis we had here, as you said, hey, look, there's going to be a lull. You know, it's going to look like it worked. And then at some point, we're going to figure out it didn't work. The only question is, how long is China going to buy before we find out it didn't work? Yeah, the. This is a, this is not just a China problem, is it? There's a real estate problem that spans the rest of the world, including a big one here in the United States that everybody knows about, yet hardly anybody wants to talk about. It's almost as if, just like you said, Steve, we're almost hoping that the bank the banking crisis is just magically fixed through the Fed's magic new tools, when we can all see that there's a massive, huge problem inside. These, these are especially the regional banks, but it's not just U.S. regional banks, it's banks around the rest of the world, but focusing specifically on these U.S. banks, and it's not underwater U.S. treasuries. It is the distinct difference, divergence between commercial real estate values and commercial real estate prices. Commercial real estate values that are being held on the books because commercial real estate is illiquid and doesn't trade, you can't just price commercial real estate, values are up here still. Prices, those that do trade, are way, way down here. And all of the signs and symptoms suggest it's about to get worse. Let me read you another quote, Steve. This is from Ross Perot Jr. Ross Perot Jr., famous son of Ross Perot, the giant sucking sound. Remember all that in the 1990s? Ross was great. Ross Perot Jr., who's the chairman of Hillwood, which is a major real estate developer conglomerate that does a lot of things. He said on Bloomberg Markets just this week, Commercial real estate developers are having difficulty obtaining construction loans and warns of a recession for the industry if banks don't start lending again. So there's that credit crunch. There's the commercial real estate. There's forward-looking numbers that says China's not the only one with a real estate problem here. It's shocking, right? I mean, this is kind of what we said before. The show. Wow. Well, who would have seen this coming? Yeah, right. Because you go back and you look at the SLU's report, the Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey, which which should be pretty much the Bible for the stupid things people are going to say about the property market and bank lending is, hey, they're tightening lending conditions. They don't want to lend money. Hey, so what do you know? All of these builder, all these buildings, these property owners, as they see, of course, people leaving the space to go either find cheaper space or they're saying, hey, look, we rented all the space, but half of our workers now work from home. We don't need it. Of course, that means 
they're going to end up going back to the bank and saying, you know what, we, we don't have the rent flow. So we're not going to be able to pay the loan at the current value. The bank then is going to say, well, you have to. And they're going to say, no, you don't. We're going to default because a lot of people, and I know you know this, Jeff, a lot of people don't know that a lot of these developers will separately isolate buildings in individual LLCs which is brilliant because the bank's still lend against it. So it would be really dumb if you're going to go in and say, look, we think we've got you over the bag. It's like, no, actually you don't because uh, we can go ahead and foreclose on this and you can't touch anything else we have. So it's going to force the banks into a write down position, which they just don't have the ability to do. I mean, there's just no margin for error in the banking system. We know a lot of these small and mid-sized regional banks do a lot of commercial real estate loans. In fact, I think it was Jamie Dimon, uh, this week, or maybe it was last week, made a comment. And he's like, I think there's going to be problems for some of the banks in the commercial real estate market. And you go look at the large bank, what they hold versus a small mid-sized bank. It's like double. They, they hold like the small banks hold double. And I think he was kind of jabbing like, yeah, we don't really care. I mean, we got, we got so much cash here. It doesn't matter, but you guys over there, you're screwed. Yeah, he must have said that with a little twinkle in his eye, right? Knowing that he's going to pick up some more value, more banks on, more assets on the cheap. Because for guys like Jamie Dimon, this is a, this is a terrific period. I mean, blood in the streets you want to buy if you're liquid, and that's really the point here. The banks are saying, as as Mr. Perot Jr. was saying, banks aren't liquid, and when you're not liquid, the last thing you're going to be doing is lending out on risky activities that are getting more risky by the day, by the hour. So, of course, they're not lending. Not only they're not lending, they're sitting there sweating bullets that hopefully the property sector somehow magically finds an equilibrium and prices stop falling for who knows what reason. Maybe maybe Beijing is going to bail out the, U the U.S. commercial real estate sector, too. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a rumor about a government bailout for commercial real estate pretty soon. But we know what's going on here is the pro-cyclicality of a liquidity problem that becomes a credit problem, that becomes a liquidity problem, becomes a credit problem, becomes an economy problem. We've got all of these deflationary symptoms that are just, they're just not public. They're just not out in the public yet. But as I said, we're all talking about it. We all know what's happening. And there was another one. Another, I'm giving you another one. There was a tweet from Elon Musk just a couple, uh, couple days ago, this week too where he just said commercial real estate is melting melting down fast, home volumes are next. And that was in response to a tweet that said, LA office towers are selling for less than the amount of debt on them. This is true for San Francisco too and other big cities. And that was in response to a tweet that said, LA's office towers have on average $230 in debt per foot. The only building to sell this year went for 154. That's a lot of water. Ellie's biggest landlord, a Canadian giant Brookfield, which means this is global, has defaulted on more than a billion dollars of loans this year. So we're all talking about real estate, China, the United States. We're talking about banks. But yet right now, everybody thinks the economy is good. Everything's fine. Everything's just hanging in there when it's like the Titanic has already hit the iceberg and you can hear the water rushing in. But everybody still thinks. Let's just have a couple cocktails on, out on the deck. Yeah, that's right, Jeff, because when you get today's non-farm payroll report, why would you think anything is wrong? But, you know, I want to go back to this bank thing for a moment because, you know, one of the things that I think is important for people to understand is why are banks tightening lending standards? Well, go look at the yield curve. It's called it's inverted. You know, if you look at the fact that you, you see every time the curve starts to invert or gets close to inversion, banks tighten lending standards. It makes perfect sense. And then at the same time, we're going to see commercial real estate prices fall. And then I'm going to, I'm going to make a prediction here on your show right now. This is a bold prediction. Jamie Dimon, 
JP Morgan's going to come in and swoop up a whole bunch of these banks. And then when he runs for president, he's going to say, look, I saved the banking system. Elect me. You heard it here. He's not, first. Gonna just, he's not just going to pick up the banks on the cheap, though. Remember, he has to wait for the government to give him a bunch of guarantees. That's his modus operandi. It's same thing with Bear Stearns. Bear Stearns was funded in large part by the Fed. J.P. Morgan scooped them up, made a big fuss about it back then, too. He should have run for president in 2008, I guess. Right. But you're right. I mean, the banking crisis, we're way past any of those short term fixes. We're into the point where. Banks have been forced to confront all the mistakes that they've made over the past few years, only starting with commercial real estate. Remember, the Fed's financial stability report said commercial real estate was about one and a half trillion on the books of U.S. regional banks. I think that probably understates the problem because there are other classes of loans and credit that are sort of attached to it. But either way, it doesn't matter. Banks are already confronting their mistakes and saying we need to get ahead of them. Before they, they before they make a Silicon Valley bank, and that means, as Ross Perot Jr. was saying, pro cyclicality. Doesn't matter what the Fed does anymore. Doesn't matter. I don't think it matters really what the economy does from here. Though the economy getting worse makes it worse for commercial real estate. I think banks are already in that mode where they're like, we expanded, we have to clean up. Now is the time for the janitor to come in and. God for I mean, we got to hang on for dear life here if we get another kind of liquidity run, which means they have to they have to clean up much faster, much farther. They do it with a blunt instrument rather than going through with a, a scalpel and making uh, you know minimal changes. They're just going to start. We're just going to cut everything out of the out of the balance sheet. Yeah, Jeff, like you said, this is a lot like the Titanic. It, it didn't sink all at once. It's very slow at first, and that's the economy. It just moves very slow, but it's very obvious where it's headed right now. And I think that's kind of the big concern that we're facing is once this thing does turn down and the manufacturing sector is validating that this is this is all indeed coming. The problem is the only answer. And I'm not again, I'm not suggesting to anyone that this will work, but the Fed's going to go to zero. The entire curve's going to come smashing down. It's not going to fix it because it's too little too late and it wasn't the problem that caused us all. But that's what's going to happen. And when it doesn't work, who knows what the Fed will come up, but I'm Sure, they'll figure out something and probably won't work either. Oh, boy. What a mess. Well, maybe when Jamie Dimon's president, he can fix everything. <laughs> I, I'm not holding my breath on that one. And on that note, we'll end this week. Thank you very much for that image, Steve. We'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Uh, thanks, Jeff.